Morning everyone, it is a privilege to speak to you today. Last week I was talking to a church in Marandera and it's so exciting that we are part of God's great gospel advance in different towns in uh, Zimbabwe as well as beyond. We're part of His great church. And I've been covering during the times that I've preached uh, a series called Storm the Gates, really about how we live all out for God, fulfill His great commission. And today I felt God challenging me or the last few weeks instructing me to speak on something different. And so I'm going to do that as a one-off today. And I want to talk on don't let the secondary become the primary. And so I want to open in a word of prayer and then we are going to dive right into what God has for us today. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that you are a miracle working God. I want to thank you that you are on the move. I want to thank you that you are speaking to each of us today, this morning, right now. I pray that as we go through today, that you would speak with power, you would speak with authority, you would speak with clarity, you would challenge us to the core. I pray that we would right now open up our hearts, we would open up uh, our eyes, our ears to listen, whether we know you or not today, we would be open to what you, the living God, have to say, that we would be changed as a result of your word today. Your powerful name we pray. Amen. So a number of years ago, a friend of mine had bought a brand new Land Rover Discovery. And he was heading away to another country on break for a while. I just had a shoulder operation and he said to me, Craig, do you know what? Uh, I'm away for two months or so. Uh, just, just use my new car. You know, it'll be easier for you on the shoulder, but also just enjoy it. Enjoy this new car. Now, I was driving at the time a Mazda BT50, not a bad vehicle at all. But uh, compared to the brand new out-the-box Land, Land Rover Discovery, you couldn't compare it at all. So anyway, I, I got to drive this thing. It was incredible. Put it into sport mode. You feel the suspension lower and the exhaust takes on a different sound. It had almost like on cruise control, a, a sort of robo robotic automatic driving. So you, you get into the car, you put this on and literally uh, it does everything for you. So I would set my cruise control to a little bit above 60 around town. And uh, as you come up to another car or up to a stop street, it automatically stops for you behind the car. As you edge out into the road, if there's no cars in front of you, it accelerates for you to overtake. If you're doing it at nighttime, automatically turns on lights. As another car comes in front of you, it dims the lights. It literally drives for you. You're obviously steering, but it was, it was so cool. It probably took me a lot longer and was more complicated to get around, but I absolutely loved it. I was giddy with excitement. In fact, I found myself before I went to sleep at night going, geez, oh my goodness, I can't wait to drive the Land Rover Discovery tomorrow. And uh, we went on trips with it. We absolutely loved the time that I had to use it. But you know what? After a few days, I came to realize that all of those bells and whistles were really secondary to the purpose of the vehicle. So yes, they were nice and I really enjoyed them, but they were secondary to the purpose, which was to get me from A to B. And so on a busy day and going from meeting to meeting and church talk or school talk to school talk, it became just a means from getting me from one place to another. You see, the joy of the secondary details, the joy of the bells and whistles started, they were nice, but they started to fade as everyday life took on uh, its, uh, its motions and travel from A to B became the main aim. Now, in life, 
it is so easy for you and I to place our focus as Christ followers on something secondary and to take our eyes off the primary. It's easy for the good to become the enemy of the best if we allow it to move into a place in our lives that it should never be in the first place. And so the past few weeks I've personally been reading through the book of Acts and I've loved seeing a number of things, but I've loved seeing the passion of the Christ followers. I've loved seeing the transformation in people's lives as they move from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And I've been inspired by seeing the powerful demonstration of God's kingdom come in the miraculous. So I want to read from a passage in Acts, from Acts 5, verse 12 to 21. And there's so many little passages like this dotted around the book of Acts because Acts looks at the early church. And what we're going to read is kind of just the everyday normal life of the early church. So we're going to read this together, Acts. If you have your Bibles, um, it's going to be up on the screen, but Acts 5, verses 12 to 21. So we're going to read and listen to this. Many signs and wonders were being done among the people through the hands of the apostles. They were all together in Solomon's colonnade. That was sort of part of the temple. No one else dared to join them, but the people spoke well of them. Believers were added to the Lord in increasing numbers, multitudes of both men and women. As a result, they would carry the sick out into the streets and lay them on cots and mats so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. In addition, a multitude came together from the town surrounding Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Then the high priest rose up. He and all who were with him, who belonged to the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. So they arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail during the night, brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and tell the people all about this life. Hearing this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now you and I might sit and go, that's some crazy stuff happening there. People are being healed just um, it doesn't say it explicitly, but what the writer is getting across is that just as Peter walked past people with a shadow on the side, people would be healed just as a result of God's power working through him there. They were arrested and they were arrested often. It didn't just happen then. And uh, in the process, they had angels setting them free and they continued to share the gospel. Um, it sort of sums up everyday life. People were coming to faith in large numbers as God's kingdom was in display in a powerful way. There was sort of a feeling of we want to be with these people, but we also don't. It's kind of a bit scary. It's a bit risky to be associated with the apostles, but they're really good people. We want to be with them, but we are also scared at the same time. The apostles and believers were in and out of prison because the religious leaders wanted to control and were losing power. Regardless of what these leaders said, they continued to boldly speak about Jesus. We see that in the, um, in the reading there. In the words of the angel, they continue to speak about this life. I love the phrasing of the angel saying, you need to go and tell the people about this life. There was a radical generosity. Everyone was together and had things in common and there was joy overflowing. You see, the early followers gave their lives to Christ they were then filled with the Holy Spirit and life was never the same again, ever. Their lives were never the same again, ever. The old went, the new 
came, they were absolutely 100% new. Every fiber of focus, every core of purpose was changed. They were transformed in every aspect of life. And that's what happens when we encounter and live for King Jesus. Not perfection. We're never going to have that, but a passion for him and for his name. And as I've read through Acts the last few weeks, I have felt many emotions. I felt excitement. I felt frustration. I felt expectation. And I have felt sadness all at once. And most of all, I found myself often in my office, on my knees or sitting there saying, please, Lord Jesus, give me that sort of passion for you like the early church had. Holy Spirit, please fill me afresh so that I would have the courage and boldness to live out that passion. Please give me the faith to see your kingdom come in supernatural ways. Please shake me out of my comfort. Please wake me up from stagnation. Please save me from wasted days and months. Please bring acts again to my life, to the life of harvest and to the life of Christ followers around. I found myself asking the Lord, what needs to change, God? What needs to change in my heart? What needs to change in the heart of Christ followers at Harvest and Harari? Where could we be going wrong if we aren't experiencing this life as described in the book of Acts? And this is what I felt the Lord say. I felt him say to me over and over again the past few days, don't let the secondary become the primary. And then I've sort of said to God, but God, what do you mean? We're reading our Bibles. We are living upright lives. We're, we're doing church. Uh, we're praying with our kids. We're spending time with people. What do you mean? I just felt the Lord say again to me, don't let the secondary become the primary. And so I then dug deeper dug deeper in my own heart and I've said, I, Lord, Lord, tell me, show me and I know exactly what he means. You see, the disciples chose what appeared to be the more difficult options, but as a result, they experienced fullness of life. What do I mean? Well, the disciples chose Christ over comfort. They chose service over selfishness. They chose generosity over greed. They chose faith over fear. They chose perseverance over privilege. They chose power over procedure. They chose courage over cost. And they chose eternity over earth. Again and again, they chose what appeared to be the difficult or maybe the unexpected option. And again and again, they seem to experience abundant life when in our eyes they shouldn't. But isn't that so true of God's upside down kingdom? Isn't that how Jesus lived? He lived this unexpected life, this difficult life at times, but ultimately a radically abundant, full life. Now in that passage, and in fact all through scripture, we look and we see the miraculous happening and a huge number of people coming to Christ. We see amazing displays of God's kingdom power, just like that shadow we saw the, the shadow of Peter, people getting healed just by a shadow. I've been reading a bit. We had a chat with friends on the weekend and I've been reading a bit about some of the revivals that happened, the big moves of God in Scotland. Crazy stories of young boys in school, 11 years old, getting together and praying and praying every night and God working. Old grannies, hardly able to see, feeling sick and frail, saying, you know what? We feel God saying we should pray every night from 10 until 3 in the morning. 
and then praying and God doing crazy things. And while they're praying and then praying through the day, people just getting out of their beds and going to a church building because the, God, the Lord's just telling them to do it. Absolutely amazing. But we see this all through scripture. We see astounding boldness and courage. But why do we see it? Why do we see it in scripture and maybe not so much now in Harare, in Zimbabwe, in your life and in mine? Why does that happen? Well, I believe so often it's because the primary focus of the early Christ followers was Christ. And they did not allow, no matter what, that to become secondary to them. Look at that passage where they're all in jail. Um, they've been sharing about Jesus and then they were in jail together. And then look at what the angel says to them. It's so interesting. Go, the angel um, uh, brings them out. So they are, are led through the jail by this angel. And the angel says to them, go and stand in the temple and tell the people about this life. Now, this life is biblical talk referring to the greatness of who Jesus is and the wonder of what he's done. And so the minute they are released, they get back at it. A few verses later, you can read a, a bit later if you want to. In fact, I'd encourage everyone, get reading Acts. Read Acts front to back, read it again. It shows what the early church was like. But a few, um, a few verses later, because they say, well, we're going to keep talking about Jesus. We're going to keep talking about this life. They are arrested again. They're not only arrested this time, they are whipped. Now, whipping wasn't just a little casual whip with a shambok. This was what Jesus experienced. This was a scourging. This was your back ripped open. This happens in jail. They are mocked and laughed at. What do they do? They get released celebrating rejoicing that they can be like Jesus and they continue doing exactly what they did before. Why? Because Jesus was their absolute priority. Now that was a costly focus to have, but it wasn't something that took the early Christ followers by surprise. Jesus himself said to them that they needed to leave their old lives and follow him. He said that they needed to daily pick up their cross, i.e. lay down their lives for his sake each day, that things would get tough, and in fact, Peter, right before Jesus went to heaven, Peter, who is involved in all these stories and acts, he told Peter how he was going to die for following him. He said, Peter, if you keep doing what you're doing, if you keep feeding my sheep, you are going to be crucified like me. Now, Peter knew what crucifixion was. He knew it was terrible. Did that make a dent in the slightest as to Peter living out what God called him to? Not at all. It didn't put the slightest dent in the passion that Peter and the Christ followers had to share about this life that the angels spoke about. How is that possible? It's because they chose Christ over everything else and they did that every day. There's a great quote from a man called Tim Keller leads a church in America. And this is what he says. Trouble can take anything away from you except God. Therefore, if God is to you a greater safety, a deeper security, and a more powerful hope than anything else in the world, you fear no trouble. Isn't that incredible? It's absolutely an amazing thing. I'll, I'll say that again. Tim Keller he says, trouble can take anything away from you except God. Therefore, if God is to you a greater safety, a deeper security, and a more powerful hope than anything else in the world, you fear no trouble. And that was absolutely true of the early Christ followers. God was enough and was all they needed. As you read through scripture, I believe that's what you see of the early Christ followers. They had a singular belief that Jesus was enough, that he was more than enough, that he was life, and that was all 
that mattered. The question is, is that true of your life and of mine? Just like the car that I shared about earlier, it's so easy for something secondary and for secondary things to take the place of the primary. And it's so interesting because you see with the disciples, they had God's power operating through them. People were healed in an amazing way. You see there, um, people who were demon possessed were set free, people were healed, but healing wasn't their ultimate focus, it was Christ. The disciples, I'm sure, liked to enjoy a good meal and a holiday on the edge of the Sea of Galilee. They were fishermen after all. I can imagine them heading off with the family, camping on the beach, going fishing, even though they were in their new life. But those things weren't the ultimate focus, it was Christ. The disciples, I'm sure, like to hang out with mates, talk about other mates in business, people carrying on the fishing and other things, talk about life, but that wasn't their ultimate focus. It was Christ. It's so easy for us to allow the good gifts that God brings us because He's such a loving God to become of greater value than Christ Himself. It's easy for our focus to move to the gifts rather than the giver. The secondary becomes the primary. God is a wonderful heavenly father and dad who brings amazing gifts to his children. I've just seen that in my life over and over again, the unexpected, gracious provision and uh, joy of the Lord. But that is not his primary focus for you and I. His primary focus is that we would find and live this life, as it says in the passage, because he knows that will bring us true joy and satisfaction, that we would find him. And as you read through scripture, you will not find Jesus, Peter, Paul, the other disciples fixing their eyes on their personal comfort, um, hiding away from things that are difficult, focused on security, focused on their own personal healing, making sure that they're comfortable. You just don't find that. You don't find Peter and Paul sort of um, shouting out to God and saying, Lord Jesus, we just need more stuff. Like, Lord, I just need a bigger house. I have to have it. And Lord, I, I, I just need this and I just need this. We deserve this, God. We're, we're doing all of this for you. We're sharing our faith. We are putting our lives at risk. And so, God, you need to give us this. I'm sure the disciples did ask for things. He's their heavenly dad, after all. I'm sure that they did. But was that their passion? Who was their passion? I believe their own comfort, their own security, um, their own things in life, took a very secondary role to the primary one of Jesus. And if you search through scripture and you find anything else different in their focus, please do let me know. I just can't see it. As I read through Acts, as I read through the New Testament, as I read through Jesus' words and the writing of the, the followers of Christ, I just don't see them focusing on themselves and, and what they need and what they desire. It just seems that they are passionate about Jesus and his kingdom. See, there's much teaching in the world today that subtly brings in a focus onto me and my life on earth. It's more about God being here for me rather than me being here for God. It's all about what Jesus brings me rather than me laying down my life for God. It's almost that what Jesus did for me on the cross was amazing and all, but not that amazing. Being saved from my sin is cool and all, but not really the coolest thing. Do you see how gradually those great things, God's healing, God's provision, God's, um, what God does for us an amazing dad, can gradually move us from, from letting the secondary become the primary. The truth is Jesus does care about us deeply. He loves us incredibly. He does give us amazing gifts. He provides for us. But just make sure 
that your complete focus is on Christ and that he truly is enough for you. Not Jesus plus something, but Jesus himself. Jesus is enough. Not that what he can give you is enough. No, Jesus is enough. Matthew 16, 24, as I come into close, uh, it says, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to follow after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. This is the key part. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world, but he loses his life? What will anyone give in exchange for his life? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. Then he will reward each according to what he has done. What is he saying? He's saying, firstly, if you don't know Jesus, then the way for you to save your life for all eternity is to know Jesus. And he's saying, if you and I do know Jesus, we can in essence lose the abundant life and lose the reward by focusing and trying to save ourselves and protect ourselves from what God is calling us to. What Jesus is saying, he's saying, I am the one who brings life. As the angel said, this life. And so how does the switch take place? What transformation happened in the disciples' lives and kept happening to bring about that all-encompassing life focus that they had? Well, it happens right here. It happens right now with a few decisions that you and I need to make and then to continue to make each and every day. It happens with some repentance. It's a big word for saying we turn 180 degrees by the power and the guiding of the Holy Spirit. We acknowledge where our lives and our focus doesn't really match up to what we see in Scripture. We repent and we say, Lord, we want to turn 180 degrees and then we move forward and we repeat every single day by the help and power of the Holy Spirit. And then we start to see a life happen like it does in Scripture. Let's pray. And I want to pray that God does that in your life and in mine. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are with us right now. I pray that you would take away distraction. I pray that you would help us to engage. Father, as we read through Scripture, it is just so evident that you, Jesus, what you taught, the early church, the early followers, the, the apostles, the, the disciples, were dramatically, completely, absolutely focused on you and the advance of your kingdom. Everything else was secondary. You were enough. You continued to be enough. You were life. You were life in abundance. And nothing else was necessary except you and telling others the truth of this life. And I ask for me individually, I ask for us tuning in as a church and for Harare, for the church in Harare, I pray that we would start to see life like we see in Scripture. Maybe some people are already living it. Maybe some of you are already seeing this happen all the time, every day. Well done, keep going. For the rest of us, I pray that we would start to see this. And I know the way we'll see it is to acknowledge that our focus isn't on you and only you. It's to repent and say, Lord Jesus, help me to move things off the throne that have been on the throne. Help me to fix my eyes on you and to live for you and only you repenting and then it takes moving forward and doing that every day and saying Holy Spirit fill me afresh today fill me afresh every day please help me to live for you and you alone 
because I want to keep what's primary where it should be and what's secondary where it should be. And so please help us, Father. Your powerful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us. There's so many ways we can keep engaging with this. We're doing fasting together as a church. An email went out earlier. We'll, we'll send out more about giving up some things in life to focus on Jesus. We're going to be starting on the first Tuesday of every month, early morning, some men's prayer meetings so that, so, so that as men, we can really pray for ourselves and our families, um, our businesses, but that we would live this out, that Jesus would be priority. Uh, we want to look at doing some worship evenings and, um, and continue to gather together. But ultimately, we want to uh, continue to live and step into this life that the angel challenged the disciples to keep preaching, to keep sharing, no matter what the cost. So thank you for being with us um, and let's live this life together today in the week ahead and beyond. Um, thank you so much and have a great day.